0: all right good morning hey i know some of you have may have noticed the lights up here we have lights now and i know some people are wondering hey why all the color i'm going to tell you we are starting to live stream now so we've got our video um, of our service going up every sunday morning on facebook and it's also going to be i mean there's a lot of people watching this and and what we noticed is that it was really white back here (laughs) And if you you know, so we we added a couple of lights, and Ronnie and Katie Briley are up there, and they are are working to design it to where it goes with our slides, and and so if you notice some changing here and there, it's because you know that's kind of their gift. They make us look good. So when you see them, say thank you, and uh, it's a lot of good things. Okay, so Friday night we began a brand new routine here. Um, so. And in the middle of the of the uh, the Bobcats football game, I realized something, and Shelly Shelly realized something and told me that this is what was going to happen for the next seven years. This is now what we're going to be doing every Friday night and in, in the fall. Is that right? How many of you are still doing this, even though you don't have kids? And the, okay, a lot. Well, you know, it's interesting because it was a lot of fun. You know, you guys take your football seriously here. It's the only time I ever got a kind of an amen is just right then. (laughs) Maybe I should mention football more in my service. (laughs) And it's funny because we, I love football. I grew up playing football in my whole life and, and I realized that um, it's really a lot of fun whenever the whole community participates. And we haven't had a lot of great experiences at football. You know, last year when we came, we we were on the other side, and y'all put the visitors in the, you know, the scorching Mars sun. <laughs> Good idea, by the way, but if you're on the other side, it's awful. Um, but really, the, the, the most fun we've had at a at a high school football game was two years ago, and I actually, you know, texted Russell France this in the middle. Um, he used to go here, texted Russell France this in the middle of that game, because the most exciting game I had was whenever we were playing Central High School in the, you know, Hearst area. And the, the band was incredible then, and y'all beat us really badly. And it was still one of the funnest games I've had. And so now I'm looking forward to seven more years in Section C, Row 30. It's going to be fun. But we have a new routine now, and routines are good. You know, a lot of times people look at routines as being something that's not necessarily a positive thing. Well, I'll tell you, some routines are really good. Shelly and I, we don't have it down yet, but we're still practicing. We're trying to do our best to look at our routines and to consider how our routines, those things we do each and every day, help us to look more like Jesus. And whether we get it right or not, because we probably get it right less than we get it wrong, but it's still something we deeply desire to look like Jesus. We desire it for ourselves, but we also desire it for you, for our teens. We desire it for our older folks. We desire for everyone in between, and I think at the At the core of it all, the reason we desire for you to have a faith that looks like Jesus is because we know it is a struggle. At every level, we all struggle. We struggle in our careers, we struggle in our marriages, we struggle in our friendships, we struggle as parents, and we struggle as children, don't we? So the question I've been asking for a while now, and I've I've preached something similar to this several times, and I, I'm okay with preaching it again because it's still the same question and I'm still working through it. But the question comes in this form right here. How can I help my family and my church family in the midst of the struggle of faith? Faith is a struggle. And how can we become people that look like Jesus? How can we help build strong people and families that are faithful and intentional about following Jesus? And so for the next few weeks, this is going to be our conversation. What does faith look like in every area of our life? So let's pray as we begin that God will will speak today. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we all come here having had some sort of a struggle this week. Some of us have been been victorious through the power of your Holy Spirit, and some of us, well, we have not. But still, we're here because we're looking, we're searching. We want you to help us with our faith. We want you to help us be people who are intentional. Lord, so help us this morning. And I pray that you would speak to us because we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you consider yourself a person of faith? It's okay, you can answer on that one. Yeah? Sometimes, maybe. Right? So if so, how faithful are you? You don't have to answer that one. Have you ever considered... Your faith as something that you may need work, may need to work on, or maybe faith as may, maybe you need to exercise it. Have you ever considered what faith work might look like in the midst of your family? I know it's a lot of questions, but I, I do wonder if we should be asking ourselves these types of questions on a daily basis. How do we suppose we're going to become a family? that is faithful if we're not asking those questions on how can we be faithful because faith development is one of those areas that requires our attention we have to really be paying attention to it you know because our our culture is fighting for our attention <coughs> excuse me our culture is fighting for our families' attention and 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 what is it that our culture is showing us when it comes to families now if you look at the 50s 60s and 70s you had different types of Of things here. You have different families. Okay, what are the ones on the left? Ozzy, the Nelsons. Okay, what about the right? What family is that on the right? The Cleavers, leave it to Beaver. And in the middle, we have the Brady Bunch, right? So, this is kind of those images that we used to get back whenever TV was new and it was kind of this um, unrealistic and saccharine look at what family is supposed to look like. And I still tell you, my wife has never vacuumed in a high heels in my house like Miss Cleaver. Not even on a dare. She just won't do it. But what have we gotten since the 70s? What have we gotten since the 70s? Now tell me if you recognize some of these people, some of these families. Just shout out the name if you, if you recognize them, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Exercise a quiz. The bunkers, right, all in the family, very normal and very simple family, <laughs> no complications. I'll tell you, if y'all want an interesting look at, at w- w- some good statements <laughs> and interesting conversations, watch this. Teens, have y'all ever seen these people before? Okay, ask your parents, okay. Um, how about these people? <laughs> Jeffersons, man, I love that show, that was a good one, okay. Um, what about these people? Sadly, they've been on for almost 30 years now. That is most, most people's adolescence. They have never not known the Simpsons. Okay, what about this family? I know, but what are their names? The Banks. Good job. Hey, I don't have a prize for you, but good. Great. <laughs> okay, the Banks family. That was a good one. I have two more. Who's, who's this one? This is new. The Fosters, right? This is brand new. All right. And finally, the Duncans. Good good luck, Charlie. Is this still, it's not a thing anymore, is it? This is not a show anymore. I like this show. This is the show I watched with my daughter as she was growing up. It's good good luck, Charlie. You know, we get a lot of images in our culture about what it means to be a family. We get it from television. We get it from movies. And I'm here to tell you this is not always 100% correct. Believe it or not. Dads aren't usually dumb, like you see on television. Moms aren't usually so controlling and a little psychotic. Well, uh, (laughs) I don't know about your family. Mine's not, of course. But that's what you see on TV. Sisters aren't usually that sneaky. Boys aren't usually that mean. I mean, we all have these moments in our life, but, but in these shows, that's consistent all the time. If you want to see what a real family is, look around you. And I'll tell you, there's lots of different types of families in this room. You'll see lots of different kinds of them because our church isn't filled with the same types of families. Our church... Is filled with people who are in different stages of life. And I, by family, for our conversation for the next month, our family conversation, this lens is not the typical mom, dad, kids that some of us, you know, some of us don't have kids. Some of us don't, don't really have parents anymore. Some of us aren't married. Some of us, our kids have left home. And what I mean by family is, that, is those people who are a regular part of your life. And it could be your biological family, but it could also be your coworkers, It could also be close friends, people you go to school with. Overall, your family is your sphere of influence. Those people, those circles that are around you, with that in mind. When it comes to living out your faith both personally and at home, where are you in that process? We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 in just a moment, so you may want to go and turn there. Where are you personally when it comes to living at your faith? At home? At work? Maybe you're struggling, too. Maybe, maybe you have this idea of what it is you want, but you aren't really sure how to get there. And this is what this next few weeks is really all about. You see, I firmly believe that faith begins at home. It, it doesn't begin here in these walls. I think it, it continues and it's, and it's fostered and, and, and it's encouraged and built here in some ways, many ways. But I think, you know, people, they will have transformational moments of repentance and baptism, forgiveness in the community, inside these walls because their faith is edified, encouraged here. And, and then we take that faith with us into the daily routine of our life. So how can we be intentional about growing our faith and helping those around us grow their faith in the midst of our everyday routine? So this is the model we just heard read by Josh just a couple minutes ago. This is the model that, we've, that, we, that has been written, uh, read for centuries. Shelly just told me, You Im- imagine how many times that scripture has been read since it's been written in community. I mean, we're talking... You probably can't even count the amount of times it's been read, but we're going to read it again today. Because I think that what we'll find in here is a good core foundation for what it means to live and to build your faith. So let's look at this. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, for the Jewish people, faith in God was realized through the everyday routine. And I believe it is exactly the same way with us. It's not something that only happens in this hour on Sunday. It happens in the home, where you find yourself this, this, in the midst of these circles of influence. Because the home is crucial to our faith development. Our homes are not optional. Whatever happens in our lives, we typically have a place to call home. Home is an ongoing part of our life, but when it comes to church, that's a little different story. Let me share some statistics about church attendance. Granted, I've seen a lot of stories and stats about church, uh, this decline of church attendance in America. A poll is a poll, but this stat has stayed relatively the same and gotten a little bit worse over the last several years. This is from Gallup, and this is what it says. 32% of Americans claim to be non-religious. That number has grown to 33%, and now they've identified them as they're called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, O-N-E-S. people who have no religious affiliation. They're the nun category. It's actually risen to 33%, which leaves 68 to 67% of people who should be going to church, right? Not really. About one-third of Americans now report that they seldom or never go to a religious house of worship. Now, 68% say they occasionally attend service. But many times people respond to these polls, as you know, of how they hope to be. I'm working on it, so I'm going to check this one instead of how I'm actually living. But actually, what I believe is I think there's actually fewer You know, according to studies of people's actual behavior, less than 25% of Americans go to church more than two times a month, which means that 75% of Americans aren't attending much at all. 75%. The culture is changing in America. And there's growing groups and there's one large dropout group that's, that's been growing since 2011. And studies show that these, this, this one group, uh, that, that many of those people who are leaving churches are those people between the ages of 18 and 29. Significant. It's significant why they're leaving for our conversation. So research from the Barna group describes one particular response, that, that kind of response that stands out. And this is what it says. I never lost faith in Christ but I have lost faith in the church. And if you look deeper into it and kind of disaggregate the data, what you'll find is something common. You'll see this. Many of the 18 to 29-year-olds believe Christianity is hypocritical because the version of Christianity that they saw, that they experienced was something that was done only at church and not at home. That's our struggle, isn't it? Being Jesus at home, at work, on the golf course, in traffic. I could keep going. No families are immune to it, by the way. Nobody is immune to it. And when it comes to churched families... There's more. It says, this is also from Barnett, it says, we discovered that in a typical week, fewer than 10% of parents who regularly attend church, and I would say this also applies to anybody particularly, um, who regularly attends church with their kids, read the Bible together, pray together, other than at mealtimes, or participate in an active service as a family unit. Now this... This survey was done with a vast cross-section of people. They said that the respondents numbered over 400,000 people. And I want to think our church is better than this, but I'm not naive to think that we are much different. I mean, maybe we're better than some, maybe we're not as good as most, I don't know. But we still have some work to do. But this question still remains, how can we be a people of faith people who who don't treat Sunday morning as the only time that we can engage in spiritual conversation or actions or service? How can we be a people who in our daily routine model a lifestyle of faith when things go well and when things don't? Now, Deuteronomy 6 addresses this and it talks specifically about what it means to build a faith through a lifestyle of conversation, a lifestyle of attention, a lifestyle of, of intentionality. In verse 6, one thing is very clear. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, we know verse 5, it's kind of our core mission statement. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it says these commandments are supposed to be on your hearts first. This truth, this faith, it needs to be in you before it can ever be in those you hope to influence and that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Influence. What is our is our faith influencing anyone? Do we realize how much influence we really have? With our friends, with our coworkers, with those students we see each and every day, with those people that we don't know are listening but are? I was in graduate school in 2000 and one of my professors was a Tennessee Williams scholar. She was a little odd. She hung out with Warhol in the 70s, and she has that same flair. But I thought she was fascinating. Well, she passed away suddenly, very suddenly, in the middle of one of my semesters. It was just shocking. Well, afterwards, her, her mom came down from Oregon, and I took some food over there to her. And I remember whenever she answered the door, I said, hey, I'm Scott Allen, I'm I'm just here to give you something. I know you're going through all of her books and everything. Is there anything else I can do? She says, You're Scott Allen? I said, Yeah. And so she invited me in, and we started talking, and she says, You know, Linda was listening to you. What I found out, never knew, Linda grew up Church of Christ in Oregon. I didn't even know they were out there. Is that crazy? And here's her sweet little Church of Christ mama (laughs) telling me, Scott, she was listening to you. And I'm like, what did I say? What did she... But what I found is that I loved having conversations with her. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. But I was just telling her about my life and what I wanted to do. And she was listening. Oh my goodness, how many people have listened to me when I haven't been intentional about what I've been saying? But it let me know something there and then. Do you realize how much influence you actually have? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. If you've chosen to follow and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you've embraced Him and you have been baptized, if He is in you, you have got influence. Remember Matthew five sixteen. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our lights are influential. It's not if you have a light, shine it. He's saying let your light shine because he's assuming you have it. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have a light. Let it shine. Our lights and our lives are influential. In fact, it's my belief that more people come to faith in Jesus Christ, not by some earth-shattering experience, but by some by seeing someone consistently struggling to live out their faith with genuine, authentic spirit about you. Which leads me to believe this. Faith, I don't believe, can be taught. It's not an academic exercise. I think faith has to be caught. Faith is not something that you just kind of teach. Faith is something you have to model. People catch it from you because they're inspired. They see how bright your light is. It's a whole new way of of being. Faith that is caught is, is faith that is lived out in a true way. And my question is, how intentional are we at living out our faith in such a way that our family, that our friends, and our kids can catch it? Now, I know some people will say, I, we're not that family that sits down and has Bible studies. You know, I've heard some people say they don't even know how to teach Bible to their kids. But I'm going to encourage you, living out your faith is not dependent on how much you know or think you know. Now, that's going to come the more you live out your faith. But influencing others through your faith is first and foremost about you choosing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ first. Then it comes through being true and genuine and fully present. It's not about bringing up God in a conversation. It's about letting God be the conversation. Letting God influence others through you. Be intentional. Be courageous about what you believe and why and live it out because you are with your family and those people in your sphere of influence almost each and every day. And the need to capture their attention is great because there is a competition afoot. The first time I communicated some of these stats was about six years ago, and sadly things have gotten a bit worse. The 18 to 29 group is still dropping. Families are still struggling. Routines have become even more complicated and pressured. It's one of the reasons we decided to move out here because God was moving us to say hey we gotta slow down we need to be more intentional with our family and I tell you some of these areas in the country are so stressed and church for some continues to just be another option on a Sunday morning now some will say it's the church's fault for not being relevant enough or or deep enough or dynamic enough But I was in church more than the average person. I used to think that the greatest influence on people was this hour on a Sunday morning. I mean, church is influential, and I believe it is one of the greatest hopes left in this world. But let's do the math here. How much influence does the church have on you and your family? How often are you here? Okay, how often do you think you're here? Let's say that you are here every Sunday in a typical year. I'm just going to assume... That you're here every Sunday. It's about 52 hours. OK? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll say that you're here an extra eight hours every Sunday. So what we've got is we've got a half a gallon. We're going to do a little bit of uh, math here. I'm not a math person, but I have ins- consulted some mathematicians. Let's say this is 64 ounces, a half a gallon, 64 ounces. Let's say that this right here represents each hour is an ounce each. Uh, An ounce in here represents one hour of influence. Now, this is what the the size of the church. This is the influence that the church has on you each and every year. If you're coming to church one hour a Sunday and a couple of extra ones. Now, a lot of you may not come, but maybe twice a month, and but then you come to class, so it all works out. So this is this is the amount of influence that has on you. Now, if you look at this, this is this is sweet tea. This is everything that makes us Texan, right? And the church is kind of like that. Inside this church is power-packed with some good influence, good quality things that help us to become more about, who, about, about, about Christ. So I want to put this right here. Now, there's still a lot of other days, still a lot of other hours. There's 8,760 hours in every year. So what I want to do is I want to end this, Think you take away 64 of those hours, and that's what's packed in right here. 64 hours. So how much other influence do you have on your family in that sphere of influence? If you do the math and you think, I'm going to take away the the sleeping, eight hours a night, giving you eight hours. You take away the time at work, or with those of you whose work is your family, take away your time at home. So kind of work that out. I'll give you two weeks of uh, vacation a year, maybe some weekends, holidays are good. Um, So let's just work that out. So if we were to consider... Uh, However many other things we've got hours, let's say that there's 128 hours right there. How are you going to fill that one? Here's another one, 128 hours. There's another 128 hours. These are full. These are not as full. So it really kind of depends on how much intention you have and what you're going to fill each of these gallons of hours with. Now, that's a lot, isn't it, compared to this one-half gallon? But sadly, there's more. So if we were to think about even more time that we have of influence, it ends up being around 23 gallons of time that we have with our families, as opposed to this half gallon of time that our church has on us. Averages out to around 29, 2,900 gallons. I'm sorry, ounces, hours. 2,944 is the actual amount. But some people have more, some people have less. Now, what I'm worried about, I know you're not supposed to worry is how much do we depend on this to help build our faith? And how much do we ignore the rest of this in those moments when our faith is actually being built? I think if we were this week, let's just take this one, maybe even half of it, and let's be intentional about what we are doing, how we're living, what we're saying, what our conversation is about. Let's just start here. Because influence works both ways. If this is my Netflix binge <laughs> for the week, what is that doing for me? It is one of those things that has It's really impacted me seeing it broken down like this. So don't think that you're not important to the faith of those people in your family, in your sphere of influence. The fact is that your influence could be the only source of God that some of your people may ever see. What's your conversation like whenever you talk along the road? What's your conversation like when you lie down, when you get up? Have you tied the Word of God as symbols on your hands? Have you bound them on your forehead, kept them in here, so that there's no doubt about what it is you believe? Do we surround our house with the faith that that knowing God will do? That, do we surround our life in those places we work and live with faith that comes from knowing God and His commands for us? For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about faith. What if faith looks like at home? what it could look like at work, what it could look like in your everyday life. And I believe from my heart that you can live in such a way that others will catch your faith. I believe that the Spirit wants to show the light brightly through you. And and I'm going to tell you, we want to help you do that. We want to help you become a family that is genuine, a family of faith that's strong. I tell you, we don't have it down yet either. We're still working, and we fail, and sometimes we get it right. So let's do it together. Because after all, we are a big family of faith. As we close, I wanted us to read Deuteronomy 6 together. Let's go and stand together before we sing. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together. If y'all need me, I'll be right here. I'd love to pray with you.